1: Welcome to the Mike Avedere Show. This is Mike Avedere, of course, and today is Thursday, April 6th, 2023. Of course, Murphy's Law, the day that we have so much to talk about. We're going to have a little bit of an abbreviated show due to technical difficulties, but my man Josh of Voice America have have it all figured out, and uh, we're back on track. So appreciate everybody's patience, and let's get right into it, Pop. There are so many areas to start. I just want to get your quick take on that national championship game, the conclusion of March Madness. I thought it was an incredible run from San Diego State. Nobody could have predicted it. But UConn, they pretty much led the game wire to wire after the first couple of minutes. They were pretty dominant. They were a deserving champion. Very out-of-the-blue matchup, though. Is this kind of what you envision moving forward? that the days of, like, you know, mainstays like Kansas and Duke and North Carolina, et cetera, are going to be in the championship game every other year, that ain't, it ain't like that anymore. It's now a lot more competitive. The talent is spread more
2: evenly across the field of 64. What are your thoughts? I would say we've been dealing with that the last 25 years, really, where it's not going to always be Kentucky. It's not always going to be Kansas. It's not always going to be North Carolina. It's not always going to be UCLA. It's not – well, Indiana ain't been there forever. Um, It's not always going to be Indiana, and it's not always going to be – well, I don't even like calling Duke a blue blood because Duke is really just kind of in the mix because of Coach K. Really, I know that. I know a lot of Duke fans like, no, don't say that. But they're – come on. Let's keep it real. North Carolina is the blue blood in that situation, and Duke is North Carolina's rival. And the reason why they considered them a blue blood was because – they just became kind of a a great marketing tool in the '90s. But to me, for you to be a blue blood, you got to be good for at least a good sixty, seventy, eighty years. You have to be an institution. And I would say that even UConn itself, they're not even they they they're close, but they're no cigar because when UConn's bad, they're irrelevant. When you when uh, when these other teams I'm talking about are bad, they can. This is the difference: UCLA and Kentucky and North Carolina can win, say, 18 games, they're getting in the tournament. UConn wins 18 games, they're going to probably have to win the Big East. It's That's the difference. It's levels to it. But I thought that UConn showed that they were one of the more dominant forces and they, they reinforced the fact that the Big East is one of the better conferences in the nation and probably the strongest conference in the nation when it comes down to, um, you know, all in uh, head and shoulders because people have to understand UConn was an absolute machine. This is probably one of the greatest runs that you'll see since wooden. These guys beat everybody by double digits. I don't remember any team beating everybody by double digits on their way to the uh, tournament championship. And they weren't a one seed either. They were the four seed, So that's what made it really incredible. But if you really. Couldn't were... you say that there were favorable matchups though, along the way? Um, What for UConn? Yeah. UConn was, uh, I'll keep it real with you. UConn, it didn't matter. UConn was blew away. They beat everybody by double digits, including Alabama, the number one team in the uh, tournament. So when they played, but I know what you mean, oh, Mike. Come on, Iona. But Iona was one of the better uh, small schools that there was, and they had Patino coaching them. And that was probably the only game they had any trouble in because they was down by two at the half. Then they played against um, St. Mary's. That's a West Coast Conference school. So you had two school, you had two conferences, you had two smaller conferences that you were playing against. Got that? Then you play against Arkansas, SEC school, but they were having a down season, but they still looked like they could have could be on an even terms with UConn until we got to the first 10 minutes of the game. And then they played a Gonzaga team that literally left, literally won their national championship two nights before on Thursday. I'll keep it real. And this is not me homering. If we had a full UCLA, a full, fully healthy UCLA team play that UConn team in the, uh, in um, Vegas, I promise you UCLA probably wins that game by seven or better because UCLA just knows how to go ahead and, you know, stick it out. They would. They. They. They're kind of like how Marquette was, and Marquette absolutely owned um, UConn this year. And then UConn gets to face off with Miami. Miami was not a bad team. Miami was the number one team out of the ACC. They disrespected Miami because North Carolina had a bad season. Duke wasn't really relevant, and the ACC just was not a good conference this year. But that doesn't take away from what Miami did this season. Miami was a hell of a team this year. And, um, you know, I think that Miami, they got the worst draw of them all because they went through a a great cycle, but then they had to draw UConn. I felt like San Diego State, that's a team that got a lot of of favors, in my opinion. You beat Charleston. That one looked like it could have been upset. Then you draw Furman. Furman was literally, they only had one good game in them. Then they played Alabama and won the game of all games by playing great defense. Then it was a bang, bang call when it came down to Creighton. And then I think it was a little bit of misjudgment when it came down to FAU. So they had two, you know, miracle finishes in two, two games. They couldn't afford to not play the perfect game on Monday night. And when they went on that nine-minute drought, it was all she wrote. It's that simple, Mike.
1: You know, it's interesting because before the game, the UCLA game, that is, I made the comment that the UCLA team was banged up. And I got a little bit of pushback on that. But now we
2: see that it really was the case. Well, in eleven minutes, an eleven-minute drop won't help you either. If the Bruins don't, if the Bruins actually score in that eleven minutes consistently, or just half of that time, they win the game, right? Because they're up thirteen. The UCLA yeah, just, absolutely. but that goes back to the injuries as well, too. You know, if you have Jalen Clark, you really don't. You didn't have any of these issues. If you have Bona, you don't have any of these issues because you would have had somebody to stick Timmy. So I, I'm with right. you, Mike. you you're right. You're right, Mike. You're right. You know, and sometimes you got to put your emotions to the side, know that, you know, that's the reason why they went on a scoring drought. You know what I mean? Because they didn't have their their capable players, and the and the freshmen, the bench guys, did not step up. If you look at the uh, totals from the bench that night, you didn't get much from the bench that night. You just got Jaime. You got a great effort from uh, Amari. You got a great effort from uh, Tiger, who actually – Missed a whole lot of shots there at the uh, at that point in time as well, too. But you only really have four real contributors in that game. So you're right, Mike. You're definitely right about that.
1: Well, uh, I thought even with all that said, once they came back, they were going to win. You know, after coming back from that deep hole, that scoring draw, I thought they were going to come back and right. win this
2: thing.
0: You
2: right. Know? Because, right. Because the way it's set up, Amari hits the clutch three. He's the big-time super freshman. He's showing that he's about to take over the lead with the UCLA, that he's about to become the man on campus at Poly or take his uh, services to the NBA. And then, boom, here we go. uh, My man, Stratter, and I told you the story. I know the kid from uh, when I lived in Vegas. Guy comes down and hits a shot in the same gym that in the same arena that he's he's played in multiple times as a high schooler and as a college player. So it's like, okay, he already he, he it was the Vegas thing that really helped him out in that that situation. You know, you dream of dreams. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely, man.
2: The I guess you kind of answered one of the things
1: that we were going to talk about a little bit, which is is UConn a blue blood? You know, I know you're talking about longevity, but if you go back, you know Calhoun and Herrick, and uh, or actually Calhoun and uh, excuse me, uh, and since Calhoun,
2: I mean they've had a pretty good run. Well, I'm gonna keep it real with you. Once they went to the AAC, they became irrelevant. The Big East made the the when when they literally when the Big East kicked them when the Big East told all the football schools they have to go literally, you know, they could have told UConn, then you know what, but y'all different. We know that y'all ain't a big football school. Y'all can, you know, they didn't make no deals with UConn. They let UConn walk out the room because, you know, UConn, I guess they felt like, you know, UConn was was a part of the, the garbage that messed up the um, Big East in the uh, first place. Because the Big East, you know, they're still kind of mad about not having their 16 teams in the conference. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I think that they kind of were spiteful for everybody that was a part of that, the football group. And UConn was a part of the football group, even though they're not that big of a football program. So, yeah, UConn can be a blue blood, but they got to be in a blue blood type of conference. And that's the Big East. And I feel like, yes, in the last 25 years, they've had a great run but it hasn't been consistent it wasn't a john wooden type situation it wasn't north carolina and you know i even was talking bad about Duke, but Duke, you know we they were in majority of the final fours in the 90s and you know that you can say that you know kentucky has been in uh final four literally every single decade over the last uh 70 years but uconn is a team that arrived about 30 30 35 years ago and they've spaced out their success to me a lot you know what i mean where okay you won your first few championships within a six-year period in time and then it took you a little bit to get back and then you won two more in a three-year period of time and then now you're winning another national championship which makes them incredible is though they've done it with three different coaches they won two with they won three with calhoun one with Ollie and now one with Hurley. So that, that is really,
1: really impressive. That's hey, let incredible. me ask you a quick question, though. You you kind of took us down memory lane a little bit. Who is your favorite UConn player out of this whole run? I'm going to start
2: and I'm going to say Rip Hamilton was mine. Okay. I'm going to just keep, I'm going to just keep be, be dead honest with you. I always rock with the kid from the Bronx, and that's Mr. Kimball Walker. Kimball okay. Walker. Greatest week ever a college, ba- greatest week ever a basketball player could have. I think he had the greatest run a basketball player could have in a postseason. Dude, pre- point blank, college or pros. That was just absolutely amazing in 2011, everything he did. Yeah, that was an impressive run, man. I
1: also like that cat named Lamb.
2: <laughs> Remember Lamb? Yeah. Yeah, Lamb was really good as well, too. Um, Roscoe love that kid as well. He, the guy with the busted eye, he was he was awesome. Uh Okoro was a great uh center. He was he was an awesome player as well, too. But Jeremy Lamb was huge. He was a freshman who who just was big. He was big for him. And Shabazz was big for him as well, too. And it was funny because he was leading mostly freshmen. And they won that national championship. And they weren't top tier freshmen either. They weren't Fab Five. They weren't any of that. They were just some freshmen that were on the team. How about Danielle Marshall, part one? And then another Donnell Marshall, same program, same school years later. I thought it was just Donnie Marshall. Donnie Marshall and Danielle Marshall, they played together.
1: Did they? I didn't think that they yeah, ever they played were together. on the same
2: team. They played together. You uh, sure about that? Yeah. Donnie Marshall was a little younger than him at the time. Cause I remember Donnie Marshall playing in the 95 tournament and them getting beat by UCLA um, in the uh, West final. I remember that very, very uh, vividly, but I do remember Danielle Marshall being there with being there with Donnie Marshall for a bit, because you got to understand Danielle Marshall was literally the beginning. And I know what you're thinking. Like, well, wasn't he there with, uh you know, you would think that, okay, Danielle Marshall, Ray Allen, all those guys were there for with each other for a hot moment. You know what I mean? But, you know, Ray was a little bit younger than him, and he was already gone. And um Danielle Marshall and Donnie Marshall, yeah, that that was pretty fun. You know what I mean? And that was pretty cool. And Danielle Marshall, we can always say he was the first big star coming out of uh, UConn as well, too. We always uh, tend to forget about Travis Knight as well, too, former Laker who was huge in, um, you know, creating this thing that became UConn and everything like that. So UConn can say one thing. They have a lot of players over the last 25, 30 years that have been able to be very sufficient NBA players. Well, I won't say that they were all really great who went to the NBA, but they've had guys that have made a name for themselves in the NBA. And another – husky that i really truly love and he's that dude they don't talk about him enough ben gordon ben Garden as coach calhoun used to call him. hey yeah yeah, yeah he was legit, man. Crazy, but you know you know pulling out knives in new york city on people and stuff but hey you know what we don't know that we don't know both sides of the story that's what i always keep telling people y'all keep saying these folks are crazy but do we know the full story do we know right. the whole story you know, right. sometimes people had to just be crazy to to, to save the for their safety. <laughs> yeah, and for by the
1: way, for uh for Danielle Marshall fans, he's actually uh an assistant coach in the G League in the NBA G League with the Greensboro Swarm. Or last I heard at least he was with the uh, G League. So he's still around the game and uh, rightfully so because he he, he was, was a player. He was a beast. He was a first-round pick All in the NBA. Players. I think he was, like, fourth overall pick for the Timberwolves. Yep. Uh, and then got traded to the Warriors for a few years. But he was he was legit, man.
2: Yeah, he was good. He was real good.
1: Okay, let's take a quick commercial timeout. We're going to move on from basketball and talk a little boys of summer baseball, even though it's the springtime. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back.
0: stimulating talk
2: it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast
0: all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com This is the Mike Abadir Show If you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 That's one 866 472 or send an email to Mike at the Mike Now back to this week's program.
1: Quick news and notes from around the world of sports from the world of the NFL. An interesting news and note here, a Tyree Hill, superstar, wide receiver of the Miami dolphins man. Who's done it all from Kansas city to Miami. He's announced that he's actually going to retire. Uh, not after this season, after the following one, his contract, goes until 2025 he said i'm gonna fulfill the contract and then i'm walking away i'm done so interesting there for tyreek hill fans enjoy him for the next two seasons fantasy wise you've got two years left to capitalize on his greatness and then he's done from the game of football another quick item uh pop so tatis jr tatered a home run yesterday in his triple-A rehab assignment, if you want to call it a rehab assignment, I guess. Uh, Let's say getting his timing right assignment after being suspended, uh, where he's going to be eligible to come back in a few weeks here. He hit a home run off of a journeyman pitcher in the minors, and this guy wasn't very happy about it. And he tweeted out today that a cheater hit a home run. What do you think about that, man? Is that sour grapes for a loser, or does he have a point?
2: Well, there's a reason why he's a, a lifetime minor leaguer and the reason why uh, Tatis has a, what is it, $300 million contract? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, there, there's levels to as Mike, as we always like to say, but I do understand his gripe, though, because it seems like that the guy just does things. He does everything to where, a pitcher will want to hit you upside the head every time you're in a uh, batter's box because there's rules to this game, Mike, and you know that. And a lot of these rules are, are, are unwritten rules, and he's broken pretty much every single one of them, and he doesn't care. And that's what the biggest problem is. He has made himself public enemy number one in my opinion. So he's not going to get love from any pitchers or anybody on the defensive side, because even when he played the Dodgers that weekend and had that big weekend where everybody's, Oh my God, Tatis is the next coming. He's a phenom. He cheated the whole weekend. He was stealing signs. He was doing all types of extra stuff during the game. And literally the Dodgers talked about, and everybody said the Dodgers was crying. Then he gets popped with steroids. Everybody hates the man now. So, you know, at the end of the day, Fernando Tatís is going to be a guy that's going to be a is going to be a what I would say shooting star and it's going to fade out very soon. If I was San Diego in all honesty and Mike you can get a good laugh out of this. If I was him, if I was the GM for San Diego knowing that I have Fernando Tatís and knowing how much money I paid this guy, I'll just call the uh the A's up and say this hey, look, guys, you're not going to be much for the next 10 years, and you're already trying to move to a city that you're really going to be bad in when you get there. Why would you do this for me? Send me 10 prospects, I'm going to send you Fernando Tatis. (laughs) And you guys can go ahead and deal with him. But why would they
1: want to get their minor league system so depleted for one guy? Just to end are in the new stadium?
2: Because at the end of the day, they ain't nothing but an arms dealer anyway. They'll get they can go get ten they can go get ten more minor leaguers that, to, to replace those guys easily. They they got the scouts for it. Mike,
1: it, it wouldn't be hard. It Clearly be- no love loss between Pop TBASI and the Oakland Days. I know it ain't personal, but they've become basically uh, if they were in soccer in Europe, they'd be a relegated team. Uh, it is definitely a uh, a major league farm system when it comes to the A's
2: the A's are my favorite Bay Area team out of all the Bay Area teams so you know I got some love for the the A's I just don't like the fact that they just don't care about winning but let's not let's not start that 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 trend because they played the Guardians very well they did they got absolutely blew up by the Angels but they played the Guardians to, you know, they played the Guardians as if it was the playoffs. And, you know, they got some, they, they don't have anything. But I will say one thing they're not just a bunch of guys just out there just swinging bats like the Royals. You know what I mean? So, you know, I'm still, that's who I'm really got a gripe with is the Royals. You know what I mean? So my thing is, Tatis's top five options would be the A's, the Royals, the, uh, who else is really bad right now the nationals and then i wouldn't even say i wouldn't even give them the pleasure of playing for the rockies or the d-backs or anything those teams are actually on the up and up right now um we could send them to we could detroit. send them to Cincinnati and we could send them to detroit yeah those five all right are there. all mean, right they- well before we get too deep into a tatis
1: trade uh he has not even come back to the playing field yet <laughs> <laughs> a couple of other news and notes just about the pitch clock. So uh, Manny Machado tried to call time with eight seconds on the clock and uh, wasn't granted it. Got into a dispute with home plate empire. He got rung out of the game first inning. I don't know if that's great for the game to be ejected right away, um, you know, for the best player on the field or one of the best players on the field. Um, At the very next day, Shohei Itani got a clock violation while he's on the mound. Then he went to go, go up and bat, and he got a clock violation again on both sides of the clock violation, Shohei Itani, That's got to be a first uh, and a record, obviously. Probably can't be surpassed. You get it twice in two different ways. Very amazing. But overall, the game has sped up dramatically. We talked about it a little bit last week. Seems like most people are very pleased with the outcome of that. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, man, these games have a lot more action. There's more steals. You know, uh, you can't, if you're watching on TV, the days of I'm going to go to the bathroom and grab myself a drink and eat a quick snack in the kitchen and come back and I probably won't miss anything, those days are over it's become a much more fast pace. So even though I wasn't in love with it from the beginning,
2: I would say I, I like what I'm seeing, pop. It's fine because you know what? They can act like, you know, that is speeding up the game, but I watched the Dodger game the other night and it still went three hours. You know what I mean? It just depends on the nature of the game. You know what I mean? If you're going to have a game, a game game where I know it, they just cut out all the looking around and all the extra stuff. That's all they really do. But at the end of the day, we can still have extended games. You know what I mean? Where, you know, and my thing is like this, where are we going? Like, what's the big, what's the big rush? You know what I mean? Like, okay, cool. The game sped up a little bit. Now, you know, people can talk about it more on Twitter. Okay. Good for them. But the real baseball fans are were still excited about baseball. They would have been excited about baseball. If there was a pit, there was no pitch clock if the bases were bigger because we just love baseball. If you need the game to speed up and you need the game to do this, that, and the third for you, then you know what? Why don't you just wait till a uh, football season comes around? Why don't you just wait till a uh, basketball season comes around? Because at well, the but end, here's the that- thing though, pop. I, I don't, See,
1: for me personally, I don't have any problem with the length of time. I don't mind if it goes, goes three, four hours. I was, like I said, somewhat opposed to it initially. Now I'm seeing the logic because the game itself is being played at a quicker pace. There's less dead time in between. So even if it ends up going like the Dodger game, three plus hours, that's fine as long as it's action-packed within. And I'm going to give you a quick analogy to illustrate the point it's like back in the days before the shot clock in the nba you want to watch them play basically playing keep away let's say there's no backcourt violation there's no shot clock you could just hold on to the ball forever nba wanted to speed up the game not necessarily the time the end time on the clock but the activity in between same thing with football i remember when the uh uh Play clock was longer, and they shortened it. Why? Less dead time in between. The end of the day, games are still going to take about three hours long, but in between, we want more excitement. Now, in football, commercial, too many commercials screws that up. That's That's a whole different issue. But in terms of the game itself, I think baseball is being played at a faster pace, less dead time in between. And if it's a crazy game and it goes three, four hours, I'm good with it. You know, but if you notice from extra innings to this pitch and batter timed issue, baseball has obviously made a concerted effort to not allow these games go on forever uh, and to have more action in between. And we're going to ban the shift, get more base hits, get more moving the runners over, get more base runners, hopefully. We're going to get more uh, higher batting averages because people are intrigued by that. We're going to get more stolen bases because people love the days of Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman. All these things, I think, are going to be resurrected. And when we look at the end of the year, we're going to see some pretty fun stats. And at the end of the day, nobody could say that it's weak or cheap because you still have to put the barrel of the bat on the ball. And if you're a pitcher, you still have to locate and get guys to swing and miss. So I I think it's good overall, man. Like I said, I was kind of in opposition, but I I get it now. I,
2: I I'm down with it. Let's put it that way. Pop. Well, Um, I'm, I I like it. I like the fact that you, you don't get time to waste anymore. My whole thing is though with people is like, all right, man, we get it. Like, let's stop complaining about everything. That's just my point. Mike, you know what I mean? Like literally it's a passing if we watch sports the past time we watch it to be entertained jesus geez what are you doing it's it's nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night the only thing you're going to do now is go to bed so you know what's the what's the what's the deal you know what i mean let's stop it's just watch the game and enjoy it you know what i mean but this is perfect because it made baseball get back to being baseball and stop being this this game of uh of of always of strategy and and well, it's a game of strategy, but let me say we get the analytics, we 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 dumb down the analytics a little bit. We don't trust them as much as we've been trusting the last fifteen years. That's what I see. Right. That's right. exactly. Well, I'll it. tell you what, man.
1: I think that baseball is is going to be on the rise because of these moves, but also because of something that you talk about a lot. There is so much young talent in the game, and it's kind of interesting because inevitably there's always going to be comparisons to other sports. There was uh, a tweet that went out the other day from a sports writer. Don't remember who it was, but somebody that's got visibility. And he ranked the top quarterbacks in the NFC. And he had Derek Carr either fourth or fifth. I'm like, wow, already? And then I looked at the NFC quarterbacks. I'm like, man, most teams don't have a franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. NFC is weak in terms of quarterbacking. I think it kind of hurts the NFL. And I think, you know, after like Aaron Rodgers retires and maybe a couple of the older, you know, kind of horses, you're going to have a pretty crappy league of quarterbacks unless somebody emerges pretty soon here. Um, and Maybe it's CJ Stroud. I guess uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to football for a quick second and come back to baseball. But, you know, is do you think that, Stroud or or Young are going to be the type of guys that can lift the quarterback play? Are they franchise quarterbacks? Are these guys worthy of being the first two picks? And
2: who do you like better? I'm going to keep it real. We all know that it's a force. You know that these teams are forcing themselves to pick quarterbacks because that's what the media wants them to do. And At the end of the day, we know that the Panthers truly do need a quarterback. But do they need a quarterback this early in the draft? I would say, yeah and no, but since they are drafting a quarterback, I would say that CJ Stroud and Bryce Young present very enticing situations, but I can't see really either one of them being faces of the franchise. I can see them just going into the same rabbit hole that we've seen James Winston go in, Marcus Mariota go in, who, who else? You know, um, there's a lot of names that you just start going over, and they're, they're these top picks, and they're supposed to be changed the franchise and all this stuff. It's always about fits, Mike. And I just truly feel like whoever goes to Carolina, they're gonna be compared to Cam Newton all day, every day. It doesn't matter how you how people feel about Cam Newton. Cam Newton was a success in this league. He was the MVP. He was a success in this league. He wasn't just Johnny Manziel just popping up playing quarterback and, you know, being the, being the drunkest guy on the field. No Cam Newton showed up and was an absolute, just, he was, he was a superhero on Sundays when he was at it in his prime. and they're going to really try to ask this new quarterback, can he do what Cam did? And that's, that's the standard that he has to play with. And I think that's a bad standard to set on somebody because Cam Newton is one of the greatest players to ever step foot in the NFL when it comes to college football. And I could say that C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are nowhere near Cam Newton. You know what I mean? I agree. So I just totally feel that when it comes down to it, me, I would take C.J. Stroud because I feel like he's the best quarterback in the draft. But when it comes down to the fit, the better pick, Bryce Young is perfect for the Carolina Panthers because he's the better leader. They need a good leader to deal with a kind of dim-witted head coach. And so pretty much you draft Bryce if you want to start winning in in Carolina. They got the defense. They got the running game. And I would say they got the offensive line as well, too. They just didn't have – good quarterbacks but I say to myself why are you giving up on Sam Darnold your season got so much better when Sam Darnold became the starter and why are you giving up on Sam Darnold you already have his money on the books you could wait another year or you could wait till the second or third round and go get Jake Hafner who is to me the best quarterback in the draft and you heard it here first Mike so when he's killing it next year on whatever team that uh, ter- turns him into the starter mid season, just know we said it here first on the Mike Abadir show.
1: There you go, man. Absolutely. Uh, loving the advanced prognostication. Uh, we got to this point though, because we were talking about the young stars in baseball. There are so many, uh, I'm, I'm really loving it early in the season. You're seeing guys on both sides of the ball, uh, Show up and perform, and I think baseball is in really, really good hands. We're also seeing a big uptick in the collectibles world, uh, baseball cards, etc. There is a Babe Ruth bat that just was sold. This is on today's news one point eight million dollars. And if you wonder how do they know for sure that he used that bat in a game? Well, they took a photo, or they they took an old photo, matched it up with the bat on its markings, and then they did the DNA analysis on the bat to see if Babe Ruth actually touched the bat and held the bat, and everything came back and checked out, matches with the picture, matches with the DNA. What does that all equal? $1.8 million to hold out of that bat pop. Unbelievable transaction. But the collectible world, it reminds me a lot of when I was young, people loved baseball cards. You go onto eBay, it's flooded with buyers and sellers. Kind of interesting stuff. It's going across all the sports world, of course, basketball cards and football cards, but definitely the pioneer and the mainstay is baseball. Pop, let's take a quick commercial timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk more MLB right after this.
3: (music)
0: parenting relationships self-improvement career advice and a variety of other topics check us out today you're sure to find something of interest voice america variety talk on today's hot topics
1: tune in every friday to get your weekend kickoff early join the legendary g keith alexander for what's hot harlem america the flagship show of the new harlem america digital network has something for everyone From the latest in entertainment to
0: empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
1: back on the Mike yeah, Avenue show with Pop DiBiase. He, he's always doling out picks and all the sports. Uh, give us a real quick uh, plug on your handle so that people can find you, Pop.
2: All right. You guys can find me over at the in the uh, dungeon over at Santa Anita uh, Racetrack. I'll be over there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be over there with my uh, 1988 Santa Anita Derby cap and uh, raggedy t-shirt. And you guys can go ahead and ask me for some plays. Um, Yeah, you guys can hit me up on the Twitter at PopDbiasi Or you guys can go ahead and hit me on the Instagram at DbiasiWave underscore Or you guys can go to PTSI on IG and um, ask about being an exclusive client I'll get you guys situated We've been having a great week this week As we uh, move forward into the baseball season and everything like that Um, Also, you guys can watch my show daily the Primetime Angles, the premier sports betting show. We are in our third season streaming. It's our fifth season overall because I started out on the radio. So pretty much um, you guys can tune into that. Um, I got talking tickets for you guys every single day on that show. Um, Also, breaking down future bets, things of that nature, and pretty much whatever and previewing games for tonight and things of that nature. So you guys can go ahead. And um, watch that show on the Twitter on that same handle, or on my YouTube at Prime Wave Media uh, on the YouTube, or you guys can watch it on um, Facebook with my regular name, Jamil Brown. You guys just put in Jamil Brown. The show comes on every single day, so you guys have that Monday through Friday. And also, you guys can go ahead and um, always watch any of my um, interviews, boxing, uh, NFL draft, Super Bowl, all that good stuff, all on Fanatics View. Just put in pop DBI so you'll be able to find that. Or you can go to the Fanatics View to the Primeway page and you'll see um some of those interviews there as well too. Now so, what if
1: they want to know about the Santa Anita Derby? Are you gonna have something put out for that?
2: Well you know um Santa Anita Derby once again um that's where I gotta go put my uh which cup? that's where when I gotta go to the back room and put my uh, big hat on and tell you guys that ain't none of it's going to be free this year because this is horse racing. And I know that I'm always handing out some big money situations with horse racing, but um, yeah, this weekend, I think I'm going to show some love. Mike and I go ahead and I put out my winner for this weekend. It won't be one of the favorites, but, if it's one of the favorites, I like National Treasure. I think they're gearing up National Treasure to win this uh, race. But the horse that I like, the the, the 70-year-old Pop DiBiase, the one that you should just pick horses because their names and things of that nature, if I got to pick a horse because their name and I just ride that wave, with them, Low Expectations, the Nine Horse. I love that uh, name, Low Expectations. <laughs> That's the, the perfect name for the uh race. That's the perfect thing to say at the uh, racetrack to somebody. Hey kid, lower your expectations. You know, after somebody hit a uh their first uh winner at the track, you know, five dollar bet, you make 30 bucks, they think that they know everything now and they they good to go. Lower your expectations, kid. Low expectations, kid. Don't come over here thinking that you about to uh uh become um is, that you about to become the owner of the rich Crawling, kid. This is a tough business. <laughs>
1: Uh, there you go. That's that's Pop Dibiase with a little bit of a breakdown. There' it's going to be a great weekend in in uh, in at Santa Anita and across the country. A lot of really good matchups at Gulfstream. At uh, let's see here, uh, Oakland, Santa Anita, you name it. We're going to come across some good races. Are you going to be handicapping the whole uh, card, Pop?
2: Uh, Probably so. I think I might, because I haven't done horsing around this year, so I know that's kind of been, you know, missing. So I might be doing horsing around Saturday, talking about the whole card at Santa Anita as well, too. So we'll see. Man, I did the card last Saturday, and it was pretty bad. I'm going to just be honest with you. But that's because I wasn't really chasing the – the uh, favorites. It was all favorites, and you know what what kind of disappointed me, and it, this has been a disappointment in California for some years now. It's a Saturday afternoon, Santa Anita. Usually, you probably have one or two races with like five or six horses, dude. It was like literally seventy-five percent of races had only like six horses, and like two of them scratched. You know what I mean, like dude. Th- there's nothing here. You know what I mean, and that's what 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 get you frustrated sometimes because then it turns into a real chalky day and it's just really not worth your time. So
1: the Santa Anita Derby is a nine horse field. Okay. Excuse me. And it's good. It's part of a 12 race card. And uh, the sponsor is run happy. Of course run happy Santa Anita Derby. It's going to go off as race six. That's terrible. Do you like, do you like that it's going to be race six out of 12? I kind of like the Santa Anita to be a little bit later in the card for any kind of derby. But instead, they're going to have the Oaks as the one that's in race 11 and the Monrovia right before that. They're going to have the uh, Charles Whittingham right before the Santa Anita derby. So you're going to have five and six and then the Eddie Stakes in race seven, and then a few allowance races, and then the Monrovia-Santanita Oaks in race 11, and then they're going to close out with a mile turf race and allowance race on race 12. Do you like that kind of order?
2: You know what? What they're doing, and I can just keep it real with you, Mike, they, they're doing that because of TV schedule. It's going to be the race is going to be on NBC, so they want to make sure they have the race and at a time to where it's going to be the best time for it, you know, prime time, afternoon, you know what I mean? You know, you try to get the race going later in the day around the 11th. It's already 4 o'clock, it's 7 uh, seven back. East. People are going to dinner doing other stuff. But if you hit them, like, at this time, 5 o'clock, right after you get this big race going over here over at Keeneland, you know, right behind the race over at Keeneland, then it helps is bet all the big races all at once. And that's exactly why they're doing it like this. One year I did go to Santa Anita, and this is when Songbird was still around. And I remember Songbird had the featured race, and they did the derby first. You know what I mean? And Songbird, but I'm going to tell you like this, Mike, there's two horses that I've seen on the track live that will that literally made my hair stand up on my back. Share beliefs one of them when he ran the uh, big cap, and when um, Songbird won the um Nite Oaks, and the way Songbird won it in the rain too, like Songbird literally was on a page uh, tryout. And I'm still mad to this day that they did not let my girl win that race against Beholder. I know that they was playing favorites because that was Richard Mandela, but I always feel like they should have dead heated that race. Mike, I don't care, or give the Songbird.
1: Yeah, man, that was, uh, man, I had a lot riding on that. It didn't go my way, unfortunately. But that's for another story and another day. Uh, Really quickly here, your man, your guy, Doug O'Neill, he's got the number one post. I don't get it, 20 to one. Uh, The contenders from a uh, morning line perspective, the favorite practical move you'd mentioned, uh, followed by national treasure. They are the two Baffert slash timiac teen horses and then mandela with go rocket ride those are uh, in the three to one range victor's riding for his man sheriffs the number seven skinner four to one and then after that you're going to get a price if you like any of the other horses you're going to be getting some value the next tier up is eight to one and then it jumps to 20 to one 30 to one and 50 to one so Um, I think the odds makers line makers have really honed in on four horses, but if you like a long shot, you're going to get an opportunity to make some serious dough. If you think you could beat one of those contenders. So definitely get back with pop, check out what he's got when he finishes analyzing that racing form top to bottom, because it is race six might be an easy opportunity to wheel some pick threes and pick fours and doubles. Uh, using that race if you could key in on one of these long shots. Okay, Pop, let's uh, get back to baseball for a quick second. Your guy, Trace Thompson, had a whale of a game. I mean, that one game was good enough that it puts him in the uh, first week's home run leaders and RBI leaders just from that one game, his three home run, eight RBI performance. I didn't know this, but since the all-star break last year, Trace Thompson, through now, has the second highest OPS in the National League. This guy has kind of shown that, you know, with a bigger sample size now, that he belongs in in MLB, man. Do you think this guy's a a legit, not just starter, but potentially an all-star?
2: Well, not the way that the Dodgers are playing. The Dodgers are platooning, bro. You know, it's it's how Dave Roberts feels every night. Now, Trace played in two games, and then Jason Hayward started on Sunday, and then Jason Hayward wound up actually pinch hit on Sunday. But then Jason Hayward plays in two games. He winds up hitting two home runs, getting three RBIs. The guy did absolutely nothing in Chicago last year. But I just feel like the way that they're platooning and James Altman being our key center fielder and the way that they're they're kind of fluctuating the left field spot a little bit, I just think that it's going to be tough for Trace to make the All-Star game because he's not going to get enough time to make the All-Star game. I don't know how, how it's going because I know he's not starting tonight either. So pretty much it was an awesome game from them and i think that you're on to something here mike i think that what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that they have just bodies ready you know what i mean i think that with the how bad bellinger was the last few years they want to just keep the position fresh you know what i mean because there'll be nights where it's going to be chris taylor in that spot it's going to be nights where it's going to be uh Hayward in that spot it's going to be nice where it's going to be Peralta in that spot so there's just a lot of things that the Dodgers are still trying to work out right now but you do have a good point Trace Thompson did impress upon to everybody that you know what I'm here and we saw this years ago before he was traded, and the Dodgers didn't have any room for him. We know Trace Thompson's talent. And we know how good he can be. It's just that he needs to be consistent with it because he'll have these moments, and then he'll go to the left for too months, and nobody cares. You feel what I'm saying? This happened before where he was absolutely cooking with the Dodgers, and then he just went to Siberia somewhere, and then we right. had to get rid of him. So, you know, right. but he's older now. So we'll see what's up.
1: Well, another Dodger that's been really uh, impactful is uh, Will Smith. The catcher oh, has really, really, really shown some uh, interesting dynamics for a catcher that he could be an impact maker as a hitter as well as behind the dish and calling a, 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 an effective game for his pitchers. Uh, we'll we'll be able to get more into it because we're getting close to wrapping up the show. Pop, what uh,
2: what teams so far have impressed you uh, really quickly? Here, I'm gonna keep it real with you. Even though they play one of the worst schedules to ever start a season, um, the Rays they are absolutely lights out night in and night out, six and zero right now.
1: Yeah, and I, I remember my prediction. I I gave them a really crappy one.
2: Uh, they're already making me regret. Keeping bro, so, they so bro right? timeout. They played the Tigers and the Nats. Tigers and Nats are definitely two last place teams. Mike, you, you, you're okay. You're okay. Their schedule it, come on and then they draw Oakland for tomorrow. Come on, no. You're alright, Mike. You're alright. Uh, we'll 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 see you're how right.
1: that goes. I think the other team that um, you know, maybe make an announcement in the that we're here in the AL West are the Rangers. You and I spent a lot of time talking about them mainly because of Bochy, Uh, but so far, they've had a good first week. They've won four out of their six games. Pretty impressive. Uh, The Braves and the Brewers and the Dodgers are the teams in the NL that have had a good first week so far. The surprise one, Pittsburgh Pirates. They laid the wood
2: to my Boston Red Sox. And the Orioles laid the wood to the Rangers. And the Orioles laid the wood to the Rangers too. That's who gave them their losses. Well, they the, won that the series. The Orioles twice.
1: are 3 and 3, so they've been inconsistent uh, so far. Dude, they've they had, had you guys dead, dead to battles.
2: rights last Saturday, Mike. You beat them by one by a walk-off. Duvall came through in the
1: clutch. He's had a really good first Bro,
2: They dropped so many runs on y'all this weekend.
1: Oh, it was unbelievable.
2: <laughs> you know, did they took both Rangers. games,
1: both the first two games were both one-run games, you know, 10 to 9 and whatever. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable how much uh, these pitching staffs for the Red Sox and the Orioles look hurting at this point in time. But hey, man, it's early. They're gonna get things together. We, we, you know, we'll see how it goes, man. Uh, yeah. Pop, this is uh, the end of the show, my friend. We got a wrap here. Yeah. But as always. Thank you for making the show what it is. Thanks to Voice America, my man, Josh, everybody involved. And most importantly, you, the listener. We'll talk more baseball next week. Stay with us, everyone, as we uh, get more into the boys of summer and their action in the first month of the season. Thanks for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next weekend. uh, Next week. (laughs) Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone.